Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, everybody. So glad you can make it out this morning. This is kind of a, I feel like it's a, uh, an important morning for us as a church. There's a lot of things happening in many of your lives that are um, important. There's always important things happening in, in our lives, but I feel like there's some especially challenging things that many of you are faced with. And so this morning, um, I want to kind of set up our time saying this. We're still in this series, Be Ready. The harvest is plentiful, okay? We're still going to kind of be uh, tailoring this time around this idea of we want to be a prophetic people. And what I mean by prophetic people is we want to be people who discern the voice of the Lord and then act in obedience, both in word and in deed, okay? And we were convinced, like, man, God is, he's been moving and in, 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 in really positioning himself in some really kind of profound ways the last couple years now. And we're coming up on almost two years, getting closer to two years, I should say, about 19 months or so, maybe 20 months, um, since COVID hit the world and everyone's life has seemingly changed and everything's upside down and there's like a new normal that's setting in. And we've said that there's nothing like suffering because every single person on the planet has suffered the last 19 months. There's nothing like suffering to kind of like prepare the human heart for the truth of the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, the gospel of Jesus. And all of us have experienced suffering in profound ways the last 19 months or so. And really what we've said is there's gonna be so many opportunities in light of that, they're already starting to kind of pop up. There's gonna be so many opportunities for us as the church. Um, we talked about uh, opportunities inside the church and opportunities outside of the church to love and meet the needs of people, to serve and to bless in the same way that we've been served, not to try to earn favor with God, but because he served us and he's loved us and he's met us in our time of greatest need. And so we get to do that. We get to be people who do that for each other within the church and for our friends and neighbors outside of the church. We talk about two things. As, as these opportunities come, are we gonna be ready for those opportunities to care for the body of Christ and to care for our friends and neighbors? healing inside the church and harvest outside of the church, okay? Now, this message this morning was not on the original sermon outline, okay? What I mean by sermon outline is like, typically what we'll do is we'll outline a sermon series and go, okay, this week we're gonna cover either this passage of scripture or this topic. This next week we're gonna cover this passage of scripture or this next topic. This morning's message was not in the original playbook, if you will, okay? But interestingly enough, we were coming up to this week, maybe, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or something, uh, a little over a couple weeks ago. We're coming up to this week, and, and Herrick and I both, I was like, I don't, I don't feel like we need to fill this week yet. I feel like there's something coming. I can't, I can't, I, it was one of those like, 
borderline irresponsible, like, ah, I just feel something, you know? And I was, I was, I was uh, wrapping out with Eric, I'm like, I just feel like something's happening and we need to not, like, plan something and then have to undo those plans and then address something else. And then, sure enough, we find ourselves in the situation that we are in now, um, specifically with uh, vaccine mandates from both the state and the federal, at the state level, the federal level, and what that means for many people in the room. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pause, not pause, we're actually just going to address this this morning. We're going to talk about this, okay? And I want to acknowledge that there are polarizing opinions on either end of the spectrum here. So if you're sitting here, I'm seeing smirks on many of your faces. If you're sitting here and you're feeling slightly uncomfortable, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because the question is going to be this, are we going to be a genuinely authentic, honest spirit-filled people who can talk about anything and the gospel and the implications of the gospel and how it can inform it, or are we going to be people who kind of abandon the way of Jesus and not go, what does the gospel have to say about this? That's the kind of people that we want to be. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, okay? Uh, It's going to look a little bit different. Herrick and I are going to kind of tag team this teach, so he's going to come up in just a little bit. I'm going to bring him up, and he's going to share with you this morning as well. So more than likely, this is going to be a longer kind of message, but, but hear me. It's really important. So I'm going to ask you, stay with me, stay with us, because I think this morning is really important, because many of you are struggling with this. And if many of you are struggling with, and that means all of us are struggling with this, because we are one body, we are the family of God. It's vital that we don't move forward without addressing this topic, okay, about what it means for each of us, both spiritually and practically, all right? So... Before we get started, I want to get a little awkward, and I want to acknowledge every single person in the room, okay? Some of us in the room are against the vaccine. Some of us in the room are for the vaccine. Some of us in the room are against the mandate. Some of us in the room are for the mandate. The people, there's a reason why we have the gathering situated like this is so that we can all see each other because we're a family seated at the table to feast on King Jesus, right? Some of you, some of us, I should say, kind of just don't care anymore. Like you're over this. You're like, when is this all going to just go away? Some of us are in jeopardy of losing a job. Some of us have already been forced to transition out of a job. And others of us just don't even know what to make of all this. It's just very disorienting. Today, I want to talk about the effects that these specific issues can have on each of us in terms of being ready. Okay? So grab your Bible. This isn't going to be an opinion this morning. This is going to be the scriptures. Grab your Bible, Romans chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible with you, um, we'll have words on the screen for you. My love, will you hand me my water? Thank you. Please. Love you. Okay, so flip to Romans 14, and then I'm going to pray for us before we jump in, but I want you to go ahead and put your finger in that, in that chapter. And while you're doing that, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are not silent. You speak to your children. You speak to your people. You speak to the world. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would speak to every single one of us. You would speak. 
Jesus, you said that your sheep have ears to hear and they know your voice. Give us discernment this morning. We want your voice to be the loudest voice, not my voice, not Herrick's voice. You and you alone, Jesus. You're the chief shepherd. You're the king. You're the lover of our soul. You're the savior. You're the Messiah. You're the holy one. We bow in reverence to you. And so, Lord, we look to you now. Speak to us. Teach us. Show us the way. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, Romans 14. This passage that we're about to read, what Paul's going to do here is he's going to address He's going to address two specific areas where the church in Rome was becoming divided, okay? That might sound like, oh, it was a long time ago, but look around. The world's divided. The church is getting more and more divided, right? But here's the two specific areas that Paul addresses here that's causing division in the church at Rome. The first issue was about certain foods, specifically like meats that were sacrificed to idols. Was it okay or was it not okay to eat that food? Right? If it's unclean food, is it clean food now because of Jesus? Like, what do we, is it okay for us to do this? These are Jews that are all about being uh, uh, clean instead of unclean. And would these, eating these f- food sacrificed to idols, would they defile them? Right? That's the first thing. What food was okay to eat? The second thing was whether certain days were more holy than other days. All right? Food and which days are holy? Is one day more holy than the next, or are all days holy unto the Lord? Where are we at here? This might sound foreign to us, okay? But this was very much causing significant division in a church filled with real people like you and I 2,000 years ago in a major city in Rome, okay? It was their cultural moment. These external behaviors were dividing the church. Now, tragically, there are still external behaviors that are dividing the church today. So what I want to do is I want to read Romans 14 in light of our cultural moment, okay? So for us, it's not food that's causing division. It's not whether certain days are holier than other days. In our cultural moment, what's causing the most division both inside and outside of the church is a vaccine, okay? So let's read Romans 14 through the lens of this cultural moment, okay? Read it with me. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1, says this. Welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. Underline that. Don't argue about disputed matters. That sounds a whole lot like today. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge one who does. Because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord he stands or falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be convinced, be fully convinced in his own mind. Underline that as well if you have a pen. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6. Whoever observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives for himself and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. I love that. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life, returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, listen to this verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is heavy. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. All right. Heavy words from the Apostle Paul. Paul's describing two camps of Christians here, friends, okay? Those who choose to participate and those who choose to abstain. Those who choose to participate in eating meat, essentially, and those who choose to abstain from eating meat. Those who choose to participate in the idea that every day is just as holy as the next. Those who choose to abstain from that idea and vice versa. Participation and abstaining. So let's substitute our cultural moment, okay? Instead of their cultural moment, let's substitute ours. There are people who choose to participate in vaccine mandates by taking the vaccine, all right? There are people who will ultimately choose to abstain from vaccine mandates by not taking the vaccine. The question is this, which side is right? Which side is right? Society is so polarized on this right now Depending on what you read, what you look at, what you watch, who you listen to, society is totally polarized on which side is right. And hear me, the church is becoming more and more polarized with this as well. I mean, I'm literally, yeah, I'm not going to go down that road. What's the righteous choice? Which one is it? What's the truly Christian decision? Participating in the vaccine mandate or abstaining? The Bible gives us an answer. The Bible, or the answer that the Bible gives us is this. It depends. It depends. It depends on the person's convictions. Okay, hear me. Conviction is different than opinion. Say that to me. Conviction is a different than opinion. It's a big deal to understand this, guys. Conviction is different than opinion. Conviction... It involves guilt. So think about this, okay? Turn your brains on with me for just a second. Conviction involves guilt. Think of being convicted of a crime, okay? It means that when we talk about conviction, we're talking about there's a moral element here with conviction, okay? So in the case of a Christian, our morality is defined by who? Talk to me. God, right? He gets to call the shots, right? So in the case of the Christian, it's does the choice I make violate God's commands? to love him and to love others as yourself, okay? If so, it's a violation of conscience, right? It's a conviction because God sets the rules, right? Because to do something or to not do something would be wrong in the eyes of God, therefore I feel a conviction. You tracking with this idea? Different than an opinion, right? An opinion involves a personal view or something that isn't necessarily based on facts. It can or it can't be, but it's a, it's a, it's a personal view. So hear me. Conviction 
is associated with God being judge. He calls the shots. He's got the gavel. He's got the black robe. He's in charge, right? Conviction is associated with God being the judge. Opinion is associated with me being the judge. You seeing the difference? Talk to me this morning. I got to know you guys understand what I'm saying. Yes? Okay, great. Let me give you some examples. I want you to think of three different people. Okay, there's three different people. Person one, this is their opinion. Their opinion is social media is enjoyable. I enjoy using social media. I get to stay in touch with my friends and family. It's great for my business. Social media is enjoyable. That's person number one's opinion. Person number two's opinion is social media is lame. It's, it's boring. Like, why would I waste my time with that? It's pointless, okay? You guys get the, those are opinions, right? Opinion is I'm the judge. It's my personal view. You tracking with me? Great. Then there's that third person. And the third person has a conviction. And the conviction is this. Social media is harmful for my spiritual well-being. Has nothing to do with somebody else. It's harmful for my spiritual well-being because when they use it, they tend to become like really discontent and they get really anxious as they scroll and see other people's lives. They start comparing themselves to others. They get insecure. They start to grow bitter. It's a source of temptation in their life that's harmful for them. So they should avoid it. You guys tracking with the idea between an opinion and a conviction? Conviction is associated with God being the judge. Opinion is associated with me being the judge. So you can have people that their opinion on social media is great. Their opinion on social media is that it's lame. Great, that's a, that's a cool opinion. Cool. You can have people that have the conviction, this is dangerous for me, and people that go, this isn't dangerous for me. I can totally manage this fine. My worship to God is not compromised because I'm not growing anxious and I'm not coveting my neighbor's things and I'm not like discontent, which is essentially greed. You see this. Great. Conviction associated with God being the judge. Opinion associated with me being the judge. Friends, Romans 14 is saying, it's saying this. When it comes to the choices you make in life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, what determines the right choice is not opinion, but rather conviction. In other words, God is judged, not me or anybody else. That's why in verse five, I don't know if you caught it, Paul says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Listen, Paul says what the New Testament is adamant about. It's not the external behavior that determines what is right or what is righteous. It's something internal. Hear me, guys. It's something internal. It's what goes on at a heart level. Throw up um, Proverbs 21, verses 2 through 3 for me, guys. Look at this. All a person's ways seem right to him. Sounds a lot like an opinion, right? We all have our opinions. My ways seem right to me. Your ways seem right to you. All a person's ways seem right to him. That's an opinion. But the Lord weighs what? Hearts. Check this out. Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Okay, in other words, God cares about the why more than he cares about the what. Think about that for a second, friends. This is massive. This will flip your life upside down in the best way. The kingdom of heaven is upside down. 
God cares more about the why than he cares about the what. Um, an example I like to use, I've used it often, you've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again to help illustrate this. We're, go, we're having second Sunday lunch right after gathering. I'm super stoked about doing this, get to be together for a couple hours, let the kids run and play, find some food, chill. Avail headquarters. Let's say uh, second Sunday lunch, I pull you aside, we're talking for a little bit, and I'm like, hey, I want to buy you lunch. So I buy you lunch, and I'm like, get whatever you want. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get whatever I want. And you get whatever you want, I pay for it, you're happy, I'm happy, everything's cool. That sounds like a really nice thing, right? It's generous, it's kind, it's, it's seemingly loving, maybe it's thoughtful. All those things are, are, can be true. But what, what if the reason I buy you lunch is to get you to like me more? What if the reason I buy you lunch is kind of to build some relational equity with you that I can like cash in later? A seemingly wonderful, nice thing is actually not for you. It's actually for me. God cares more about the why than he cares about the what. Because your why reveals what you worship. Think about this. This is self-reflection, guys. A human being pausing to reflect on themselves, it can be heavy. But when we do that, the gospel becomes even greater news because we realize how much we need his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy because we're not always as pure at heart as we think we are. Your why reveals what you worship, what you ascribe the most worth to. Friends, it's all about worship. It's all about your heart. In Romans 14, Paul says, make decisions based on conviction before God. Don't allow your opinions or other people's opinions to overtake his judgment. Because in doing so, you or someone else becomes the judge and not him. I'm not about to take the gavel out of God's hands. And I highly recommend that you don't do that either. So let's apply this to vaccine mandates. Mandates. <clears throat> Listen. This is, this is big. It is possible to make either choice to participate in the mandate or to abstain from the mandate and completely eliminate heart-level obedience to God from the equation. Listen, the appeal that Paul is making is make your decision based on conviction before God, not solely on your opinion or the opinion of others. What am I saying? I'm saying that you can be in sin making either decision because what matters is your why, not the what. You with me? All right, I want to keep, I want to keep reading in Romans 14. I want to finish reading Romans chapter 14 because there's more here. <clears throat> Verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, right? He's like, it's the internal, guys. It's the heart that matters. It's not the external. Nothing is unclean in itself. Keep going. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, 
but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. Look at verse 19. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food or vaccines. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats or puts into his body. Verse 21, it is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And listen, this is everything. And everything that is not from faith is what? Everything that is not from faith is sin. Friends, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying don't cause a brother or sister to stumble. In other words, the way of Jesus is not to coerce or pressure a person to violate their conscience or convictions before God. And then Paul ends the passage with everything that is not from faith is sin. Faith has two ingredients. Two ingredients. Trust and obedience. Okay? To, 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 to faith, it, to, faith is to trust. Okay? So our faith, which is our, our, our faith is placed in God. So our trust in God, our faith in God, our trust in God is expressed how? Through obeying him. Right? I trust, therefore I obey. I demonstrate that I trust you, Lord, by doing what you say. I think about my girls, and I'm like, when they disobey me, it's because they ultimately don't trust that what I'm saying is true. They have another opinion, or they're listening to something else that is now more true than daddy's voice. I demonstrate that I trust God by doing what he says. So friends, listen to me. There are Christians in this room that you can see who believe that trusting and obeying God looks like participating in the vaccine mandate. And there are Christians in this room who you can see with your eyes who believe that trusting and obeying God looks like abstaining from the vaccine mandate. And either choice can be sinful. Because what determines whether something is sinful is whether or not it's done from faith, right? Sin is determined by the why, not the what. Are you getting this? So either choice, participating in the mandate or abstaining from the mandate can be sinful, but can either choice be an act of worship? I think that's the question for the hour. Can either choice, abstaining or participating. Can either one of those be an act of worship? Can you participate in the mandate as an act of worship? Can you abstain from the mandate as an act of worship, not just avoiding sin? In other words, does loving God and loving your neighbor leave only one choice? Some of you in the room, maybe you think so. Let's talk about it. Okay, I want you to stay with me on this because this is really, really, really important. What I want to do is I want to, really quickly, I want to reference two passages of Scripture. Okay, Romans 13 and the book of Daniel. Romans 13, the book of Daniel, I've taken notes, okay? In Romans 13, 
Paul says this, keep in mind, this is the chapter right before what we just read in Romans 14. It's like, don't judge your brother or your sister, okay? Romans 13, verses one through seven. As I read this, I want you to stay with me, okay? I'm gonna equally offend everyone this morning. Verse number one, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one, who, of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, I love this, pay taxes. <laughs> Since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. All right, here's a summary for you. Governing authorities are instituted by God. This is Paul's thing. Governing authorities are instituted by God. Submit to governing authorities even if you hold a different opinion. So even if you disagree with the policy, right, he gives the example of taxes, even if you don't like paying taxes, <clears throat> to not do so is to not honor God. Some of you are offended. It's okay. Stay with me. On the other hand, let's look at the book of Daniel. Okay? The book of Daniel uh, here's what I'm going to do. For the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize. I do not have time to read the entire book of Daniel. So I'm going to summarize. Um, there are two examples that we see, or that I just want to highlight, two examples of Daniel resisting King Nebuchadnezzar that I want to reference here really quickly. The first is in chapter one, and the second that I want to reference is in chapter three. In chapter one, Daniel resists eating the food that the king required him to eat. He chose to abstain. Okay? Because those foods were unclean before the Lord. He had a conviction, right? Chapter 3. Daniel resists bowing down and worshiping the king's statue. Okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he basically commanded the entire nation to bow down and worship this like 90-foot-tall golden statue of the king. Again, Daniel's reason for resistance wasn't based on opinion. It was based on conviction before God. Stay with me, guys. What I just said is super important. Daniel's reason for resistance, yet again, wasn't based on opinion. It was based on conviction before God. So here's the biblical idea of Romans 13 and Daniel. Hear me. On matters of opinion, submit to governing authorities. On matters of conviction before God, Humbly resist and accept the consequences. Remember, an opinion is I am operating as judge. A conviction is God is operating as judge. 
I want to read you a quote really quick. Tim Mackey, he's a Bible theologian, good dude, loves the church, loves Jesus. He actually is one of the founders of the Bible Project. I know many of you guys utilize that as a a resource. It's fantastic. He says this, quote, Christians are called to honor the structures of authority because they are an expression of God's authority to promote and sustain good in the world. If God's people have the opportunity to participate in those authority structures, they are called to leverage them for the well-being of their community and for God's kingdom. Listen, when those authority structures become corrupt and do not sustain the good, God's people are called to nonviolent resistance and prophetic critique, as was the case with Daniel. When those authority structures demand a loyalty that compromises their allegiance to Jesus, they are to humbly disobey and accept the consequences, end quote. So listen, a person who chooses to participate in a vaccine mandate motivated by the desire to love God and others can do so out of conviction before God. That means don't judge them. God honors their decision. He's the judge. At the same time, a person who chooses to abstain from the vaccine mandate, motivated by the desire to love God and others, can do so out of conviction before God. Do not judge them. And causing them to stumble by pressuring or coercing them to violate their conscience, their conviction before the Lord, is not the way of Jesus. So, to answer our question, does loving God and loving your neighbor leave only one choice? No. No. Because both decisions can be made out of conviction before God. Both decisions can be made with a heart to love God and protect vulnerable people. Friends, God cares more about the why than he cares about the what because your why reveals your worship. Are you with me? Really quickly, look back at Romans uh, 14, verse 12. Thanks, guys. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're gonna stand before Jesus Listen, at the end of our life, each of us is going to stand before God and give an account. And hear me, Jesus is not, he's, he's not going to ask you whether or not you participated in the, van, the vaccine mandate. He's going to ask you why you made the choice you did. He's, he's, he's going he's to judge your faith in him through the way you loved him and through the way you treated others, especially those you disagree with. Your why matters more than your what. So here's, my, here's an appeal before I call Herka. Please be careful. Please be careful. I'm seeing so many people take Satan's bait in this season. Be careful not to take Satan's bait in all this. And the bait is you being the judge instead of God being the judge. It's self-righteousness. It's pride. This external behavior results in righteousness. No, this external behavior results in righteousness. Culture says this, the people who disagree with you are the problem. They're the enemy. That's what culture says. Friends, that's the way of the world. Like, that's not the way of Jesus. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against evil spiritual forces. You think Satan cares who participates or abstains in the vaccine mandate? He doesn't give a rip. He just wants to make sure you fight about it. Really quickly, look at what Paul says at the end of Romans. Romans 16, starting in verse 17. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them because such people do not serve our Lord Christ but but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. Ever watch the news? Smooth talk, flattering words. Verse 19, the report of your obedience has reached everyone. I love this. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush who? Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Friends, hear me. God is passionately against people who cause division in his church. And Paul says that ultimately it's Satan who's behind it. He's kind of pulling the strings and he's tempting them. So Christian, be careful. Be careful not to take the bait of self-righteousness, of you being the judge instead of God, because it will cause division. That's what sin does. It divides. All right, I'm gonna call Herrick up. He's gonna come up and share for a bit. Um, he's gonna practically address some of these, uh, these potential pitfalls that each of us face and how we can actually avoid them, okay? How are we doing, guys? Um, this is unusual, a team teach. So I'm actually going to encourage you to do something. If you're able to stand, would you stand? And let's just stretch. <laughs> let's get the blood flowing. Check your hips if you need to. Stretch. Because I'm going to go on for 50 minutes. <laughs> just kidding. Actually, I didn't time myself, which was probably not the best thing uh, in preparation for this preach. You guys can have a seat. Okay, <clears throat> so in light of everything that Tom shared, I, wanna, I want to, this is weird to hold in the mic, um, I want to encourage each of us to be aware of the ditches that we can fall into, the ditches. So I want you to keep, in, keep that in mind. There's a, a road and two ditches on either side. And ordinarily, we want to stay out of those ditches. It's not paved, it's dangerous, it could lead to really bad outcomes for the car and everybody in it. Um, and in the same way, if we wind up in one of these two ditches, it could lead to bad outcomes for everyone in the church. So the first thing that I want to, it's going to be alliterated, so just easy to remember. The first thing is condemnation. That's the first ditch. Number one, if you're taking notes, write down condemnation. And this, this is so subtle. Can I just say it? This is so, so subtle. And it could look different. Um, it could look like, don't be a sheep. 
which is, this is uncomfortable. Let's just get uncomfortable, because it is. It could look like, don't be a sheep. As though the people on the other side haven't thought about the possibilities and the, what's happening. So don't be a sheep. That sort of mindset could actually be a form of condemnation. I'm not saying it is every time, but it can be. On the other side, don't be a conspiracy theorist can also be a form of condemnation. Don't be a sheep. Don't be a conspiracy theorist. There's all sorts of assumptions that come with that, right? All sorts of things that we assume about people, their thinking, oh, you're just, you're just doing, you're just falling in line on the one side, or on the other side, you're just going off a video that you found on YouTube. What are we missing in those moments? Honor, respect, love. And what's fascinating is I've spent, preparing for this message, I've spent time talking to you, to people. I've spent time praying. I've spent a lot of time with scholars through books and teaching. I've spent time with some of the brightest theological minds in the world. And when they read Romans 14, you know, one of the words that's in every single commentary or teaching I've heard of? Respect. Respect. And that's the thing that we can so easily miss out on. And by we, I mean I. Like, I'm tempted to do this. In condemnation, what it does ultimately, it separates people into categories. In, out, us, them. And so I'm just going to ask the question, why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? I'm going to give you three reasons that I found as I was studying Romans 14, that I meditated on, and I'm like, I think this is so, so helpful. Here's the first reason. Why is this a problem? Why is condemnation a problem? Number one, and Tom has already hit this, <laughs> condemnation means that this person is accountable to me and not Jesus. When the reality is this person is accountable to Jesus, not me. Condemnation, it's a problem because in reality, this person is accountable to Jesus, not to me. And as I was thinking about it, like, who's the better judge in this situation Jesus, who has full knowledge of another, another person's actions, another person's motives, the influences that shape them, their life events, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're prone to, where they're at in their development, where they're heading as a disciple, all these things, or me? Right? As I was thinking about this, I came to a, a conclusion. If you're here, if you, if you have been with us, you're going to hear me talking about movies and TV shows a lot. I'm, I'm unashamedly passionate about film. And do you want to know why? I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> you don't have a choice, I guess. If you don't care, I have the microphone and you don't. So. <laughs> The best movies and TV shows, you know what they do? They pull back the curtain on the stuff I just talked about. Strengths, weaknesses, people's motives, their lives, what shaped them. And it blows up condemnation. The best movies and TV shows, that's what they do. They inspire me to leave my opinions and assumptions aside and have compassion for someone because everybody is struggling with something. Everyone has a story that they live out of. That's why I love TV shows and movies so much. And the reality is, it, they remind me, I'm not a great judge. I'm not. 
And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about Jesus, our Lord, and what he's done for us, I owe you love and mercy, not condemnation. Because you're accountable to Jesus, not to me. He's the perfect judge. I actually was thinking about it. What am I tempted to daily? Pride. Am I tempted to compassion? Not really. That's not like a struggle. (laughs) I do struggle with pride. And I bet if you think about your own life, you do too. So that's the first thing. The condemnation, why is it a problem? Because the person is accountable to Jesus, not to me. Here's the second thing, if you're taking notes. My honest convictions do not need to be made into rules for the church. My honest convictions do not need to be made into rules for the church. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help myself. It just popped in my mind. What does this look, what what can this look like? It could look like someone who's passionate about the King James version of the Bible becoming a KJV only kind of guy or gal or church. To which I say, thee is freest to do as thou hast determineth. (laughs) But But if I make that rule, if I make that into a rule, I put requirements on people that Jesus hasn't placed on them. I'm going to say that again. If I make that into a rule, I put requirements on people that Jesus hasn't made on them. It's like saying, think about this. Let's just logically take it to its conclusion. It's like saying, step aside, Jesus. You're clearly very lenient, which is good to a point. Let me step in. This isn't your forte, this whole judge thing. Let me help you out. I know what Ephesians said, that you're going to unite humanity under your rule and reign, one new humanity out of this mess. I know that. I get it. And everyone has to do this, which is ultimately, most likely, it's going to be a projection of the culture or subculture to which you identify with. I'm going to run out of water. I'm going to need it. Thank you. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we engage in this sort of like, my convictions become the rules, then it separates people into in or out categories when Jesus has brought them near. So that's a real problem. Third thing. Are you ready for this? Why condemnation is a problem? I might be wrong. Take a deep breath, everybody. Say this with me. I might be wrong. Said no one ever. Listen to this. I like this quote. I thought it was helpful. Many Christians base their moral judgments on opinion, personal dislikes, and cultural biases rather than the word of God. Ouch. Ouch. As I thought about it, I was like, this is so true. I have certain theological, political, and cultural bents. There are some voices and perspectives that are in my ear more than others. That's just the truth. How has that influenced how I engage in this conversation? Way more than I realize. Way more than I realize. How does that compare to me engaging with the scriptures and engaging in this conversation? A lot of times it's voices and perspectives that may not even be trying to help me meditate on scripture or think about things like critically. 
my preferred news outlets, podcasts, social media influencers, and so on, they might help me in those things. They might help me think critically. They might help me reflect on the scriptures. They might help me reflect on my own life. They might, but they also might be telling me what I want to hear because they have a subscriber base to maintain. How do you know? Well, if the fruit of this sort of engagement with this stuff is to villainize or vilify someone that has a different opinion than me, then I can almost be certain that the culture is likely influencing more than Jesus is. Sure. If the fruit in my life is that I vilify or villainize someone who disagrees with me, then the culture might actually be influencing me more than Jesus. Some other culture or even subculture on any side of the spectrum. How do I know if I've taken the bait of Satan that Thomas talked about? Well, there's two ditches. That's the first one, condemnation. You ready for some alliteration? Number two, coercion on the other side. If you want to love God and neighbor, this is what you must do. Listen to the, I thought this quote was so helpful. This is from one of the top New Testament scholars alive today. Reflecting on Romans 14, he says, the churches in Rome are to be places not of coercion, but of tolerance of genuine differences between different people. The weak and the strong in this case. How are you guys doing with this? Is this what you normally hear? Is this like kind of novel for anyone? Or at least like totally under, underexplored as a society? It really does, right? Okay. As a disciple, I don't want to pressure or coerce people to do things that will violate their convictions, even if I have no such issue with whatever that thing is. Why? Out of love. I love this person. And love limits my own freedom in some cases. As I was thinking about this, uh, there was a very, for, for a while, he was very famous. Uh, a well-known baseball player, his name is Josh Hamilton. Anybody know who that is? Some people do. Some people don't. Yep. So see, there's opinions in the room. <laughs> and there, they, I know why. So Josh Hamilton, um, whatever you may think of him as a whatever, the reality was he was a fascinating human being. And part of what made his story so memorable is that he actually was, he was an addict who had become a professional athlete. And I don't know if you know this, but those two things are really hard to do, both do. Sometimes they help each other, and sometimes they really hurt each other. So here's what was fascinating to me. Do you guys know what baseball teams do when they win, like a title of some kind, a division or whatever? What do they usually do? They celebrate. Somebody said it. They spray champagne on each other. Sounds like fun. Never done it, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, do you know what would happen if Josh Hamilton got sprayed with champagne? If he started drinking? Yeah, it would destroy him. It would quite literally destroy his life. It would send him into another relapse. So do you know what the ball players did? They celebrated with like Martinelli's. They didn't stop celebrating, but they celebrated with Martinelli's. Anybody see where I'm going with this? <laughs> I mean, they didn't want to create. This is the Texas Rangers. This is not the Church of Jesus. This is the Texas Rangers, an organization that's designed to entertain and make money. <laughs> but they, they knew, like, we don't want to destroy this guy. 
We love him, and we kind of need him, you know, for whatever. Um, we might disagree on that, angel fans, but they needed him at the time. <laughs> they really did. They refused to create an environment where certain behaviors were expected because for some, that would destroy them. Are you guys tracking? For some, it would destroy them. So they didn't do it. And I, I, I heard that story, I don't know, it's been probably a decade. He, it's been over a decade, and I still remember it. And I'm still touched by it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. What if the church was like that? I think we can be. Okay, so the ditches on the one hand, there's condemnation. On the other hand, there's coercion. So how do we avoid those ditches? Are you ready? The third C, Christoformity. Christoformity, which is a $10 word. It's the only one I could think of to alliterate that actually works. It's becoming like Jesus. It's actually becoming like Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, how do we avoid the ditches? Christoformity, number one, sub-point. We welcome each other. We legitimately, wholeheartedly, lovingly welcome each other. Welcome one another as God has welcomed you. That's from Romans. Think about Jesus. Can we just take a moment just to think about him? What did he do? Even though we were far from him, he welcomed us as his, as his siblings. He introduced us to God as Father. We're forgiven, we're adopted, we're loved, we're accepted, and it's all because of his sacrifice for us, what he did for us. And now we get to extend the same welcome to other people around the table. And when I say table, you can think of this as your GC. This, this church, the people in this church. That's the table. Table fellowship. I'm going to use this term, I'm going to read it in a quote right now. Table fellowship has been a revolutionary concept for me. We talk about it all the time as a staff, as elders. Table fellowship is in many ways where the gospel meets the road, where the gospel rubber meets the road. Listen to this. Table fellowship. A group of, a diverse group of men, women, and children, multi-ethnic, different perspectives on politics, different perspectives on vaccines and mandates, different perspectives on a lot of things are brought together by King Jesus. Table fellowship symbolizes welcome. But welcome is expressed. Now, check this out again. This is New Testament scholar. Welcome is expressed in praying for and with one another. What if someone who was pro-mandate sat with someone who's going to lose their job because of it and prayed for them? Does the world have categories for this? Has anybody ever seen this? No, because the judgments actually rip apart the fellowship before we can even get there. Table fellowship, welcome, is expressed in people praying for and with one another who know each other's names, lives, families, their stories. They're materially available to each other. I love scholars. They, they show up and they're there with you, for you, standing with and for one another, helping one another in Christoformity. That's where I got it. Becoming like him. And this is the best part, my favorite part. To welcome is to cease being the judges and to become a sibling. To welcome is to cease being the judges and become a sibling. To welcome is to create space for peace and unity. This is Romans 14, friends. This is where the gospel rubber really does meet the road. That's the first thing. Welcome one another. This is how we avoid the dishes. This is the third way, the road that we can stay on. We welcome each other. Number two, we don't do God's job for him. I've already kind of made the point, we are not great judges, so let's not do his job for him. Each of us will give an account. 
I don't need to say more about that. Number three, respect each other's decisions. Again, these are scholars saying this, because this, I, I, I want to just acknowledge that this could sound really fluffy to some of you. This could sound kind of weak. This is like based on the best biblical scholarship. It's based on reading the text and reflection. Respect each other. Said no one ever in the 21st century, right? I think about what's on YouTube. It's like videos of people blasting each other, and that's what gets you views and likes, and that's what gets you popular, right? Like, let's blast this lib, or let's blast this neo, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that gets clicks. Am I right? Is anybody with me in this? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is, that, is it just my YouTube feed, or is this everybody else's? This gets likes. It gets going in this culture. But as Tom talked about, is that the kingdom, or is that the ways in which the powers of evil are trying to fracture our humanity? It's not people aren't the problem. It's the evil powers that are. So we respect each other's decisions. Quote, accept accept anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. And as I was thinking about this, guys, this could look so many different ways. Comparison, downplaying, dismissing, trivializing. Again, I already talked a little bit about how you could do that. These things usually don't help. You know what does help? Listening. Time. Empathy. When someone speaks of their experience, we have a chance to love them by hearing them and their concerns. So we can actually avoid the ditches of condemnation and coercion. And instead, we can, like, we can become a welcoming, respectful community where we let Jesus be the judge. I want to tell you a quick story because I actually think that even though this might feel, I don't know, Sometimes it just feels like, I wish we could just fast forward to 2025 or 2030 or 2035. Not that it's necessarily going to be any better, but it sort of feels like, I wish I could just... Remember last year when it was like, can't wait for 2021. <laughs> I think this year has been worse. Is it po- if, it's, if it's possible, I think this has been worse. But here's what I want to say. For anybody who feels that way, and I certainly feel that way, this is also an opportunity. This is not just a terrible time to skip past like, we, you know, we want to get into the DeLorean and go, you know, back to 2025 or whatever, wherever we came from. This is a time, actually, when we can grow. And I know this from my own life. When I was, I think I was 25, I met Heather, my wife. She's in kids ministry right now. She's not here. And I remember it was, it was amazing. Heather and I, we went on our first date. She and I talked for five hours. Her roommate at the time was worried. She wanted to call the cops because she was trying to text her. It was a good first date. I'd never had one like it before that, and that was the last first date I had. Heather and I were vibing. We were into each other. And so what happened? We eventually got around to the question of, what do we do for church? She's a Christian. I'm a Christian. We want to be a part of the same community because we really can't know each other or grow without being in each other's lives and having mutual friends who are also followers of Jesus. So we had to figure that out. Well, guess what happened? She and I did not agree on that. I had my own opinions about what church should look like. And they were um, hot takes of the hottest, um, burning, whatever, white hot takes is what they were. I didn't know that at the time, but I look back on it and I'm like, that's a hot take, man. Take it easy. Um, 
But with that said, here's what I ended up doing. I thought Heather's church that she was a part of, this is church in San Diego. I went to her church and I just created and constructed a laundry list of everything that was wrong with it. And oftentimes I would be like thinking about it as I was sitting in there, <laughs> sitting like under the message. Um, I've actually one time, only once, this happened once, but somebody was, wrote me an email uh, critiquing my message while I was preaching and I got it before I sat down. <laughs> I was doing that. It never hit me until recently that I did the same thing. I just didn't put it in an email. I didn't memorialize it. <laughs> I put my name to it. That guy was bold. <laughs> Almost admirable in, in his boldness. <laughs> Certainly honest. But hurtful. <laughs> really hurtful. <laughs> and anyway, to make a long story short, I judged Heather's church. I judged their leaders who were honest Christians trying to do the best they could. And Heather and I almost split over it. We almost did. And I've reflected on that many times. What changed? What happened for me? The leaders of that church, actually, I sat down with them and they challenged me. And they said, your knowledge exceeds your obedience. Which, in other words, was your doctrinal commitments are greater than your commitment to love, respect, and stay united amidst the diversity that is church. That's what they told me. And I was not happy about it at the moment. But guess what? They were right. They were right. And I needed my siblings who were unlike me to help me grow in humility, as they called out my proud, kind of arrogant ways. And I wouldn't be here, I guarantee you, I would not be here today if that hadn't happened. So what was an awful moment where I was judging and blasting my now wife and her church actually became a moment of of crazy growth. By the, by the end of my time there, we, ended, we only left because Restored Uptown was starting, and so we went to help plant Restored Uptown. We would have stayed. I actually grew. Whereas before, I used to sit and basically take mental notes of everything that was wrong. I got to the point where I could actually sit under, under the teaching of the pastors and actually learn from what was true in the scriptures. What's my point? I needed them. I needed Christians who were different than me. And what ultimately sealed the deal for me was one day Heather and I, I thought we were going to break up. And she was like, okay, here's what you, here's your opinions. Show me in scripture where it says that. This is the way. And I was like, I can't because it's not there. (laughs) And it was kind of a gotcha moment, but I needed it. And why am I laboring this point? This is an opportunity for each of us to grow. This could actually be a moment that we reflect back on and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we went through that because we grew in love. We grew in unity. We learned to actually benefit from people who have a different perspective than me. And I got to love them and be with them in their pain and in their suffering. And we got to be the church that the the world knows nothing about this kind of love and friendship amongst people who are super diverse and different. So, if we're gonna, we need to avoid those ditches of condemnation and coercion. And I want to quickly just mention something else, too. In, in keeping with the, the kind of driving analogy, there's ditches that we can fall into. There's also shortcuts that we can take. And we need to be really careful for the, about that. There are unfaithful options that are available to us. And it's just, this is sort of awkward to talk about, but we just need to say it. 
forging a vaccination card, not on the table for Christians. It's just not. Um, forging passport, whatever. I don't even know what the, the new thing is going to be, where they're going to check people. You know, that's not an option for Christians because that's deceitful. That's lying. Not an option. Um, actually, for the Christian, we have a, a kind of a longer, harder road. Obviously, you can faithfully participate in these mandates or you can faithfully abstain. And for the person who chooses to faithfully abstain, your options are humble disobedience and accepting the consequences. Does this make sense? And it comes out of, and the reason I'm going to give you scripture if you want to look at it later, Acts 5.29, this is Peter. Peter was told to stop, essentially, stop the work of the gospel. And he was like, should we listen to man or to God? You decide. And he accepted, he had to accept the consequences of what it meant for him to follow Jesus. Are you guys seeing this? This is what it looks like. And you can still, in a sense, honor the authorities by submitting to the consequences. No one has to violate their conscience. And we can be here for each other. We can be here to honor and respect each other. This is a hard time for everyone. There are no easy answers. It's just a lot of hurting people that we get to love. I was, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say. And then I'll bring Tom back up. I was at Josh, my son's soccer practice on Thursday. And we had this moment where usually I bring, we, we all go as a family. And so I'm chasing my girls who are younger around. So I don't really get to like participate with other parents. This particular Thursday, the girls stayed at home with Heather. And so I just got to go. And I was like, I want to connect with someone because I haven't really met the parents in this, in this soccer team. And so I met one of the parents and he and I just hit it off. It was like, we, we like to say, we, it was great. He's Puerto Rican, I'm Puerto Rican, we like baseball. It was just like, all right, let's go. Um, and so we got to talking, and it was just, it was, it was amazing. And we ended up talking about, I think I, I might have mentioned something about how Josh didn't play last year because there wasn't a league because of COVID stuff. And so we talked about last year, and he told me for seven weeks, by the way, this guy is um, around my age, he looks like he's about 6'2", 6'3", 200 pounds, fit as a, as a what? He's a fit man. I was going to say like a Clydesdale, that's not right. <laughs> Whatever. Blindbacker. So this dude is fit, and he told me, hey, last year, for seven weeks, I, was, I got COVID, and I was on my deathbed. And he told me that um, there were multiple times when he thought, this is the last time I'm going to say, I'm going to talk to my wife. And there's a whole bunch of things that happened with him. His wife had to help him do everything. Like, he, he got it bad. He nearly died. And actually, it, he told me, again, this is just, he doesn't even know I'm a pastor. But he was like, you know what happened? There was one day when I was sitting there and I couldn't move. And I was just like, God, if you want, you can take me. But if there's more work for me to do, I'll stay and do the work that you've called me to do. And the next day he woke up and he was better. This is his story. I'm just relaying it to you. Seven weeks, a healthy man. And then he told me, we got to talking about that. And then he told me, and yeah, my 19-year-old niece took one of the vaccines and now she has heart troubles. She actually has like a heart. This doesn't really happen to 19-year-olds. Like, and it's a known side effect, right, that's, that's starting to pop up. What am I supposed to do with that? Who, who deserves my compassion? 
Everybody. Everybody. The guy who nearly died of COVID, the healthy man who breaks kind of the category of this is something that affects older people primarily. Young, healthy guy almost died. And then 19-year-old girl who's healthy now has heart trouble. And she might be in heading down a path towards greater problems with her health because of a vaccine. What am I supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? I think we have an opportunity. I certainly have an opportunity to show compassion and love to everyone, to this man and to his niece. And I feel like it was almost one of those, I don't know if you guys have ever had moments where it feels like God's going like, (laughs) you know, you ever had one of those? Yeah, it happens to me a lot when I'm watching movies, usually. And then when I'm having these kind of conversations, it just destroy categories. Everybody deserves my compassion. Every single person. As a community, we can be shoulders to cry on and practical support for those who are helping, hurting. We can embody the gospel of Jesus. I want to call Tom back up. Those are my reflections on Romans 14, the moment that we're living in. And as a team, we just want we want you to know that we love you and we see you on all sides. That story with the, the dad from the team, it reminded me like, look around. There's pain and suffering everywhere. And everyone is worthy of my compassion and love. And I think that's worship. Beautiful, dude. Thanks, man. All right, I only have like another 90 minutes and then we'll get out of here, okay? Um, I'm gonna call the band up. I want to call the prayer team to make yourselves available in the back if you would. Herrick, thank you. That was profound. How are we doing? Okay? Everybody equally upset? Equally convicted, hopefully? That's, that's our... Uh, uh, no, sorry. I was say, that's my desire is to make everybody angry. It's, it's so fun. I love being a pastor. Um, <clears throat> all right, here's what I want to do. I want to close our time. Um, And I want to close it with a really important passage of scripture. Matthew chapter five. These are the words of Jesus I'm about to read to you. He is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to his followers. Dare I say his words are just as relevant for us as they were to them. So you, it says this in verse 13, you, restored Temecula, disciples, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14, you, disciples, restored to Mancula, are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, listen to this, let your light shine before others so they can see it, right? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Um, Back in the day when this was written, we think of salt primarily as for flavor, right? And that was part of it for them, but that was like secondary, for them in their time, okay? Salt was primarily used uh, to preserve food. So like specific, specifically like meat, right? So you, you salt things to keep them from spoiling. 
And what you do is you'd rub it into every single nook and cranny. And Jesus tells his disciples that the church is the salt of the earth. Rubbed into every single nook and cranny to keep things from spoiling. And he says, light. What does light do? It stands out in dark places. Friends, our planet, our nation, our state, I don't know about you, but it seems to be getting darker by the day. Here's here's my thought with this. What a time to be a Christian. What a time to be a Christian. What a time to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I hear Christians all the time complain about how dark California is getting. I agree, it's getting pretty dark. And what do they want to do? They want to move. They like, they want to get out. Friends, Christians are called to be salt and light. If California is getting darker by the day, Christians should be moving in in like record numbers. Not moving out. Because we're salt and we're light. How do we do that? How do we actually be salt and light? How do we do that in this cultural moment? Um, we live as disciples. Jesus chose, he chose how many original disciples? Bible, uh, Bible tri- uh, trivia right now. 12. Jesus chose 12 original disciples, right? Have you ever considered how radically different that group of people were? Think about this. Um, you have Matthew. Ma- the dude was a tax collector. The dude was a tax collector. He, he aligned himself politically with the Romans and the Jews hated him for it. So he literally partnered with the, the oppressive governing authorities to join them in oppressing his people. He aligned politically with the, room, with the Romans. Jews hated him for it. Simon was a zealot, which is basically like the extreme opposite, okay? Zealots were as anti-Rome as a person could be. So this is kind of like the modern day equivalent of like the most radically progressive liberal and the most intense and extreme conservative. And that's just two of the 12 And it's to that group of radically different people that Jesus says this, open your ears, John 13, 34 and 35. I give you, tax collectors, zealots, radically different people, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Maybe you've heard this passage before, but consider who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to 12 radically different people with different worldviews, with different political views, with different opinions. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. That means love each other sacrificially to the person you could not disagree with more. Love them sacrificially. 
Love them humbly. Love them faithfully. Love them fiercely. Even if there's disagreement. Love each other the way Jesus has loved you. And he says, if you do this, it will stand out. It will stand out in massive ways. It will be so opposite of how the rest of the world operates that everyone will take notice and God will receive the glory. You will be salt and you will be light. There's only one explanation for that because the world doesn't have a framework for this. The only explanation will be those radically loving people over there who kind of disagree but still radically love each other. Oh, they're disciples of Jesus. That's what it means to be salt and light in this cultural moment, to humbly preserve unity and to not judge other people. You ready for like a revolution? Like a real one, not like violence, not like the way of the world, not like condemning the other side. You want to participate in a real revolution? Love. Not judge. Not condemn. Not divide but love, especially when there's disagreement. Jesus says that, well, the whole world will take notice. I wish I had a time machine. I was thinking about this this week. I wish I had a time machine so I could go back to March of 2020 and I could just warn the church, guys, get ready. It's gonna get wild, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be painful, it's gonna be it's gonna hurt. We're gonna be tempted by Satan to view people we disagree with as the enemy. And it's gonna get worse. The world's about to become massively divided. Like just I wanna warn you, it's gonna be hard but the church is gonna have the greatest opportunity to be salt and light that any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. You ready? You ready for the real war? For the real revolution? The church is gonna have the opportunity to live out John 13, 34 through 35, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, even when there's disagreements. And a divided world will take notice and be in awe of our unity. Like Herrick said, name another community that operates that way on the face of the earth. Name another community where there's genuine disagreement yet fierce loyalty to one another in love. I wish I could go back in time. You'd be like, look at the opportunity that's about to be in front of us. It's coming. But if I'm honest, and not just with anybody necessarily in the room, but even with myself, like I'm disappointed. I'm genuinely pastorally disappointed. Because Christians all over the world are choosing sides instead of choosing humility. They're choosing self-righteousness instead of choosing Christ's righteousness. I don't want to stand before God and go, look, how, look, how I've, look what I've done. I want, him to, I want to go, look what Jesus did. And he did it for me. Well done, good and faithful servant. People choosing self-righteousness. I'm the judge over Christ's righteousness. People, Christians making decisions based on opinion instead of conviction before God and judging others in the process. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in myself. But hear me. The opportunity is still here. 
The opportunity is still right in front of us every single day. It ha- God and his grace is still putting it in front of us. The opportunity to be radically united, even when there's, diff- different, dis- there's different opinions, there's disagreements, there's all this. So the question that we've been asking in this series, we feel like is prophetic. God leading us into this. The question is, will we be ready? The opportunities to love each other and love those outside of our church to meet the needs inside and outside, to be compassionate inside and outside. Will we be salt and light? Will we be ready? If we are, if we're ready, there will be healing in the church and there will be harvest in the field. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus prayed for us to be ready. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for restored Temecula. He prayed for us to be ready for such a time as this. John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus literally prays for future disciples that would hear the gospel through his original 12, that radically diverse group of people. He says this, may they, us, future disciples restored to Mecula, all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, unity, oneness, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Maybe, just maybe, God is giving us the most incredible opportunity that would result in the world believing that Jesus was sent. What an incredible opportunity. Will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us. God, you alone are the judge. You alone are the judge and you're not judging the what, you're judging the why. And I thank you that we have the perfect righteousness of Jesus that's offered to us if we'll humbly accept it. So I pray for anybody in the room who has not yet received the gracious invitation for Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. He's the, he's the one that calls the shots. He's the judge. He's the one that lives perfectly in the place, lives the perfect life that none of us ever could. He's the one that dies the death that we deserve, and we get to receive his righteousness, his rightness, even when we're wrong. It's grace, it's forgiveness. I pray that every single one of us would be men and women who humbly receive that love. And then in light of humbly receiving your love, we'll be people who humbly demonstrate that love to each other and the world around us. Let us be salt. Let us be light. And let the result be your glory, Jesus, being made known, your saving grace permeating every square inch of the planet. Let us love one another as you have loved us, sacrificially, humbly, courageously, boldly, faithfully. I love you, Jesus. Protect your church from the enemy who wants to divide her. We love you. Amen. Um, here's what I want to do. We have about 10 minutes. 
band's going to minister to us. There's people available for prayer before we need to soft close. I know we've gone long. That's okay. This is an important morning. Uh, I really want to make sure that you get prayer this morning if you fall under one of four categories. One, if you're, if you're experiencing fear, anxiety about the future, please receive prayer. Let God minister to your heart. If you have any fear, any anxiety, any worry, what's going to happen, all these things, let God minister to you through prayer. Um, if, you need to repent, if you need to repent of pride this morning, right, of like you being the judge instead of God, if you need to receive his forgiveness, oh, it's so available to you. He loves, God is stoked to forgive wayward sinners like me, okay? If you need, if you need to repent of pride, you need to receive forgiveness, please go get, receive prayer. Um, if you've been operating based on your opinion instead of conviction before God, whew, go receive prayer. Let God touch your heart. Let him remind you of what's true and free you. Let him forgive you. Um, and if your heart is really heavy for somebody that you love who's really wrestling with this, go receive prayer, okay? I love you guys very much. For the next 10 minutes or so, will you guys just minister to us? You can praise. Is that cool? You guys can grab a seat. I want to close uh, briefly with something out of Romans 15. So that we spent this morning in Romans 14. And Romans 15, the next chapter, there's some pretty amazing words that the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us to give the, that church, the churches in Rome, and I think by extension to us, that actually really help us because if you're anything like me, this feels like, um, man, it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be really uncomfortable. It's going to be really hard to actually walk out. Not that Jesus ever said it's going to be easy to follow me. Uh, he likened it to uh, getting nailed to a cross. So obviously this was going to be hard. Uh, he's not calling us to easy things. But he's not leaving us on our own. And this is Romans 15 verses 5 to 7. In light of everything that we talked about, Paul says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Jesus Christ, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. And I think this is fascinating because Paul's not just saying, hey, let's just, get, let's just all get along. Obviously, there's, there's, there's more to it than this. This is about worship. This is about God being glorified as we live this kind of life together as kingdom people. That's the goal. It actually gives God praise. And as I was thinking about it, I'm just going to leave you with one picture to consider. Um, as we were singing, I kept thinking about, I talked about table fellowship, about the table, and how the gospel rubber meets the road there. A diverse table of people with different opinions that love each other and stick together. It's like I could see, think like a gospel community meeting for the Lord's Supper and people around the table and in the middle there's a cross. It's Christ crucified, right in the middle. And that's the kind of picture I think that Paul has. It's a, it's a community of people who love each other, respect each other, are united and are humble because look at how God has loved us. He gave up his life for us. He died for us. Who were, if anyone has differences with us, it's him. And he died for us in that way. 
And so now he who died for us in that way can also give encouragement and endurance to live this kind of life, which will be hard and challenging, but it'll be worth it. And it'll give God glory as we worship him as a community. So let's pray. God, would you make us the kind of humble people that we see in the New Testament, the kind of humble people disciple and disciples that are sketched out for us in Romans. Would you give us this endurance and encouragement to live in harmony with each other so that we might glorify you with one mind and one voice as we welcome each other, just as Jesus has welcomed us to your glory. We love you. Help us to love each other the ways that you've loved us. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son. Thank you for all that you've done. Yeah, we love it. In your name, amen. Re- very quick reminder, if you can help, uh, if, you, if, if you're on a serve team tearing down, if you could help with that. Otherwise, we'll see you at 1245 over at Vail Ranch for the second Sunday lunch. We love you.